Hi, it's Shelley Flett, and I'm so excited that you're joining me to listen to the Dynamic Leader podcast. The podcast is centered around my book, The Dynamic Leader, and includes reading of the chapters, along with interviews with leaders in a number of different industries. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to get yourself a copy of The Dynamic Leader, either online through booktopia.com or at any good bookstore. I'm passionate about creating the next generation of dynamic leaders and sharing tools and experiences that can completely transform an individual, a team, or a whole organization. I ask that you listen with curiosity and be open to taking on different perspectives. I hope you enjoy. Okay, so welcome back. Uh, We have just spoken about vulnerability and read the chapter around that section and I'm really pleased to uh, share the experiences around vulnerability with uh, leadership who is an expert in her field, Robin Canning. Thank you so much for joining me today, Robin. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Um, So you've read my book um, and uh, particularly this chapter. So thanks for agreeing to have a conversation because I think that uh, the more we talk about leadership uh, concepts and practices and how we put them into place is going to be really important. So thank you for joining me. No problem. Um, first of all, who are you? <laughs> who am I? Oh, that's such a deep question to start with. Um, anyway, I'm Robin and I work at the TAC. I'm a team manager and I've been there for seven years now. My background is in physiotherapy, which I did in um, neurophysio for many years prior to that. So been quite a good and interesting journey yeah absolutely and great um, organization to be a part of I know that there's um, been a lot of change and a lot of changes with organizations across you know Australia but also the globe Um, how how has TAC or your experience within the business um, transformed over the last decade it's really changing with regards to the models at which it's using to um, deliver services. I think it's now a very client-led um, business as opposed to a policy and legislation-led business. Um, that was probably started more than 10 years ago, but we've seen more of the, the sharp end of that in this last five years where we're really reaching out and getting to know and understand our clients more and that that's a priority. Yeah, absolutely. And what about your journey? So if you tell us a little bit about your journey as a leader, were you stepped straight into leadership seven years ago when you joined or were you leading prior to that? I was leading prior to that within physiotherapy. So I was the um, grade three physio, which meant I had uh, a team of grade twos and grade ones underneath me and also would be supervising students as well. So it was a different type of leadership though because it was a professional leadership where people are expected to have a huge amount of autonomy and um, knowledge in the role and they just need guidance and coaching and support. So when I stepped then into TAC, it was became an area of knowledge that I did not have. Like I had, um, what do you call it, kind of a, alongside knowledge. I, didn't, I wasn't unaware of what was going on because we've worked with TAC clients a lot, but it was certainly a whole new world and I was managing a team at that point where I, they had much more idea than I did. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you deal with that? Like how did you learn how to lead in that environment? 
Um, I used a lot of the principles that had worked for me in physiotherapy, which was um, uh, really understanding where someone was coming from and understanding that they can be an expert in their field and that that's not a threat to me. Um, that's actually something that I can celebrate and help them to grow in rather than be challenged by. So I just um, uh, got alongside my team, understood what their strengths were and helped them to be the best they could be. A lot of the time what they needed was they knew all the knowledge, but it was that final bit of making that decision. And often that's not necessarily part of work practice. It's a part of putting all the pieces together and helping them to see what the answer is themselves as well as me. And if we both felt good about the answer, that's probably where it was. So it was a lot of coaching right from the start. Because I wasn't an expert, I couldn't fall into the expert trap mm. in that space. I actually had to rely on my, the knowledge of the, my team. It was a very different experience to what some leaders have. Yeah, absolutely. And what determined, like, what what was it that made you go, you know, I'm, I'm actually just going to sit back and trust as opposed to uh, trying to control something, even if you don't know it, trying to micromanage even around the process or the things that you did know, you chose to say, you know what, you know what you're doing, you're experts in your field, I'm going to leave you with that. Where did that come from? Um... Well, it comes from physio, but it also comes from a, a uh, I don't know, a sense of I actually want to achieve the best results I can with this team. What's our combined efforts and who, where do our strengths lie and how can we best operate as a team to achieve the results? Mm. Um, I, yeah, and I just had to sort of let go of control, really. Um, I never really held control very highly in my previous role either, so it wasn't too hard to do. Um, yeah. And you fit into a team environment quite well. Just before the interview, we were talking about team sports and um, netball, basketball versus individual contributor sports, and um, it's really interesting because I was high on control and being able to, you know, um, influence my own results and outcomes and performance and. Um, that was how I learned to succeed and that I took that into the workplace. So I went into the workplace with the same ethos, only it was just do what I do because I've learned to be successful mm. that way versus in a team environment. So how much did your, I guess, sporting upbringing and background have to do with that? Hugely, hugely. So I was a huge basketballer and played quite high-level basketball. And what I realised with that is that we all have a role to play on the court. Um, and we all have to contribute 100%. And actually knowing one another really well on the court, we can defeat someone, another team rather, with better individual skills if we play as a team. Absolutely, 100% time after time. And the reason is, is because it takes a team to win the game. You can, be, um, you can draw the defence and then you leave your, another player free. If you know that your other player is going to lead for the ball, you can almost do a blind pass to them and boom, they've got a, a, a score. And that works time and time again. Mm. So I, I feel like it's, it, it is about working together and making the opportunities for each other. And sometimes you've got to take the heat of the defence to be able to let someone else be free to take that, that target. Mm. Um, and that's the way I play and the way I think through things. So the team environment for me is really important and I feel a part of the team, even though I'm the leader. Mm. So my role in my team is to be the leader of the team. And, and they need me to set direction, they need me to set boundaries, they need me to set guidelines, they need me to uphold what's fair and right for how the team works, because that's my job in the team. Um, but I don't have to have the, all the knowledge, I don't have to be the best three-point shooter, 
I can just be the, the leader of the team that coordinates calls the play and um, helps people know what they need to do and let them be the best they can be. They are the best three-pointer, well, let's get them there and give them the ball. Great. I would have loved to have you as my first leader when I entered the corporate <laughs> environment. <laughs> I think I could have learnt a lot and um, potentially taken taken a completely different pathway. Um, so we're, we're talking about vulnerability. I want to know from your perspective, what, is, what does vulnerability mean uh, as a leader and as, as someone who is treating a team like they're a sporting team? Yeah, so I had to think about this. Thanks for the pre-warning. Um, so I think that um, vulnerability is a really interesting one and I think you sort of captured it in your book where you said kind of we grow, as children we have times when we feel embarrassed or ashamed or upset about something where we might have got caught out or done something wrong mm-hmm. and we put up protective barriers so that that doesn't happen again and I think that's really true. But what I realised, um, because I think in physio you meet so many people down and out, you lay hands on them, that's part of the treatment, you learned a lot about who they are and what's going on for them and there's a real trust that's built in that. And what I've found out over time, many, many conversations, um, families and clients, was that everybody has that. Everybody's being bullied or um, picked on for something. And I always thought it was just me for a long time because I have red hair and that was absolutely something I got completely destroyed about at primary school, completely. Um, and then, I th- then I'd then meet other people later on, and I'm like, you don't have anything obviously wrong that I could see that you'd be picked on, but they would tell the story about being picked on for something, and I can't even remember what it was, but it was, everybody had it. Everybody was picked on. It's actually not a necessarily unique thing, that what you were picked on was unique, but actually everybody feels that way. And when, when that was quite a freeing feeling, because I felt, well, if that's the same for all of us, what's, what's the shame in it? Mm-hmm. And that let me go, let me, let go of any shame or guilt or anything associated with that and just accept it. That, that's just the way life was at that stage growing up. I don't think it is so much anymore for our kids, but maybe it is, I'm not sure. But the, um, the, that, sense of, that sense of letting go helped me then to reach other people and understand that they actually may have gone through that too and that that's okay and that I've been through all sorts of challenges and that's okay too. So it's not a surprise to be um, for people to hear that I've had something, uh, I've messed something up or done something different, un- not right, because they have too, and I know they have, and they know I have, and then all of a sudden you've got a very open and easy um, conversation that you can um, progress from. So where do you learn that? Where do you, you know, at, at what point do you say, oh, it's not just me, it's everyone that's really insightful and demonstrates that you're uh, seeing things from other people's perspectives how did you even learn to do that um well it was probably in physio a lot but and it was also i guess in um uh, as a safeway person as well working in customer service i think you learn a lot about people in customer service too because they don't always show you your best side like in the physio world they'll probably try and be nice to you because you've got some sort of expertise for them but the deli girl which is what I was you absolutely do not get any respect and you see with all the rough and readiness of the world through that and grumpy people um where did I actually learn it 
Uh, I don't think it's ever not been with me particularly. I've always thought of other people. I'm an ENFP, yeah, I'm an extrovert um, and part of my personality type is to actually create the best experience for other people in the world and so I'm very attuned to other people and that's always been with me. So siblings, do you have? Yeah, I've got a younger sister, yeah. Um, No, no, she's... We were just sisters, normal sisters. My parents are really low-key. They didn't really know what to... They were a bit surprised that they had a child like me and came out of the box, oh, who is this kid? (laughs) But no, uh, uh, just... just, I'm not sure. Okay, that's great. It's interesting to see how people form different perspectives and perspective is one of the topics in my book. Um, And I'm deeply curious about how people come to form these things because I see the world from you know my view and my experiences and and it's really I always find it insightful to understand how other people have made sense of the potentially similar experiences but made them mean different things and allowed them to grow in different ways around that some um, easier and more constructive than others sometimes uh, falling flat on your face and picking yourself up which um, you know I to do a bit more of that than, than the other. <laughs> I think it was it's interesting what you said one time when you said, uh, I think it's in the book as well, you say, well, I, and I hold to this, treat others how you'd like to be treated. That's a really core value and belief and faith of mine. But whereas, um, well, you've challenged me that, so treat others how they like to be treated. And that's been something of a learning for me this year. Where I've thought more about that. Like, it's not always... Like, I value autonomy and space, and so that's what I give my team. But I'm not, but now I'm really questioning that and go, they all do want autonomy and space. They also do, people also need some different structure and different feedback. And I'm finding that to be quite the difference in from, I'm in a different team now. And my old team didn't really like numbers and data and stuff as much as this team loves it. And so my needs, my, my needs of my team are driving how I lead them. Mm-hmm. So now I drive them um, with more um, feedback on numbers, targets, um, percentages, how we're going. It's all valuable stuff and, and it's motivating rather than in my previous team that sort of numbers would have been a bit demotivating. Mm-hmm. So I didn't use them or I only used them sparingly. So it, that's quite the difference. So it's, it's, it doesn't happen quickly, but that's come, that's, being attuned to what your team is motivated by, I think. And seeing what works at what point in time. Um, yeah, absolutely. So when we, when we talk about vulnerability in the team environment, in the workplace, how do you allow or open up the space? And one of the things that has been um, talked about a lot recently is psychological safety and the yep. concept of that if I feel safe in my environment, mentally safe, obviously more than physical, if I feel mentally safe in my environment, then I'll be more inclined to give things a go that I might not have in the past and uh, really be able to um, you know, try and fail at things. Yep. Yeah, that's that's actually one of the cores to my um, leadership values as well, is creating a place of psychological safety. Um, and, and that's built from an emerging leaders course that I did in my early days at TAC. And we covered the Johari window. Um, And um, so that covers four kind of areas where you have one open communication um, and then which is 
um, a, the great place to be where you can speak um, what you need to say. But then uh, alongside those areas is the hidden, so which is what people don't, you know, but other people don't know about you. And then to the side of that is the, um, when you're, uh, your blind spot so what other people know about you like you like you chew with your mouth open or something but you don't know that you do that and then just diagonal from the open is the unknown which is more around the, the self-awareness things that you about you that you don't know and no one, no one else knows as well so for me that really challenged me at that time and I spent a lot of time um, thinking about that and I still have that model in my head when I operate today um, the reason I have that is because it this model allows me to build towards that um, building, uh, opening up that unknown area, the blind and the hidden areas for myself and for my team members as well, so that they can become more self-aware, more understanding of themselves and understand me more, which means that we ha create a, a, it's almost a palpably strong sense of um, security and safety and support in the workplace. We don't just have a team that talks about stuff on the weekend. We can always also talk about ourselves and what's important to us. Because if, and this happens um, in our roles, when you have that call from a client who's distressed, upset, angry, um, where it's a difficult call for whatever reason, you, you, if you only talk to people at work about stuff and not about yourself, your ability to then go in and say, I've just had a crap call, I need to get it all out of my system and do that properly, um, not that we're counsellors, but just that first vent that you need to have it can happen mm. and it's really truly can happen and it could you know you might gravitate a bit more to one than another in the team but essentially anyone in the team could hold that conversation for you and you would hold it for them as well just listening to them so that's the preparation and why I set people up for that because the role is tough um, it, when, any role public facing is tough you, you can't know what to expect and people are, um, they bring <laughs> they sometimes bring their best and their worst to the phone so it's transitioning from the conversation from stuff to self. I actually like that as a, as a concept. For leaders who have not used the Jahari window concept, and I, I really like um, the model and I think that it's withstood the test of time and quite practical and easy to implement. But what, um, I guess, process yeah. Yeah. Would, a, would a leader who hasn't, actually looked at it and you can um, google jahari window to see the the model mm. but how would they actually apply it in yep. their team yeah there's kind of two key things that you do one is it's to reveal the hidden so the to reveal the hidden you need to sort of decide about your level of self-disclosure within the team so it's about sharing who you are um, by modeling that so that others share who they are so, um, for example, I'll share a bit about who I am at home. I'll share a little bit about my career history, um, my failures and my successes, just little bits and stories. You're usually in story form at different times when it's appropriate, like a random time and I'll, I'll happily share a story about my physio days or something like that. Um, owning up to my mistakes. So I'll do that really quickly when something happens. So, uh, like, for example, I... I we missed a couple of team meetings leading up to Christmas, so I had to send a few emails with information. They were a bit long, so people didn't really get to them, and it didn't like it's not great, and I didn't really think it's the best way to get some of those points across. So, uh, what I'll need to do is I'll come back around to the next team meeting and say, "Look, those emails too much. I get it. This is the time and the place. 
So let's just cover off any of the things from those emails. And just being able to be vulnerable on, or admit mistakes on the little things helps. You always will do big mistakes too, but the little ones also count for building the trust. Making sure people get their information uh, really quickly uh, and in a timely manner about work stuff. Like, so they're not out of the loop. Mm -hmm. So they know what the, what the vibe is and what's going on in the big picture. Um, I'm okay also being okay with ambiguity. So not necessarily needing the control um, as well and being okay to fail, I guess is probably um, a, a state of mind that I put out with regards to self-disclosure that it's okay. Mm. So that's one of the key, that's, just, that's, that's in your control and that's really, you, I think you need to choose your own level of how much of that is because there is too much as well um, and there's also like things that you'll do at management level that you can't share yet but you share what you can. Mm. I think that's what, and, and I, I will say that, like this is how much I can share now or, and, and that's, that works quite well. So that's kind of work, that, that's one part. Have you, have you ever shared too much and went whoops I probably shouldn't have obviously told all of that <laughs> yeah obviously yes I have <laughs> and you know I go well <laughs> I had to backtrack <laughs> and, and then do you apologize for oversharing I just own it I go well it was probably a bit much and it was, this was sooner than you needed to know about this I'll you know just something that's real but they yeah yeah it hasn't caused drama, but yeah, for sure I've done it. Kind of, and I'm learning. <laughs> As you see the surprise or shock or look of horror on people's faces, you you say, "I've I've just gone down a pathway that I can't come back from." <laughs> yep. You wish you were the Men in Black, where you had that light and just look into the light, and the flash just erases everything that they've just heard. Yep. Yep. That'd be okay, but that's not the reality, and they will also make the same mistakes somewhere along the line too. So how do you get them to, because a lot of the time you have, um, you know, staff members and probably a lot of listeners, a lot of um, leaders who are listening um, to this can relate, is that, you know, people who have never been in a leadership role can be really critical about what a leader's role is and how they mm. should perform it, etc. Um, but that they don't necessarily apply the same rules to themselves. And so part of the Jahari window is what do I see that they don't how do you open them up to that how do you get them to be a little bit vulnerable about their shortcomings yeah well it comes that's trust so they need to trust you and that takes time and you have to earn it it's not given well often it is given but it, there's this much given rather than the, the full uh, gamut given so um, it's a lot of active listening quiet space um, a letting silence do the heavy lifting in a conversation, um, just being there with them, remembering stuff about what their challenges or successes have been and checking back in around on people. When people know that you care, um, it tends to slowly happen over time. And it's not, a, it's not a rush. And sometimes you'll get a lot further with some people than others, and that's about, that's, that's okay. So, um, I, I sit and give the space um, do for you them. See, do you see leaders around you who struggle to give the space uh, or time? Yeah, yes, at times, yeah, I do. And so they, they get a concept, they're like, okay, I need to teach my team to be vulnerable. Let's go do that as, as a task as opposed to how can I keep vulnerability in mind and work 
my way towards that over a period of time, however long that takes. Yeah, well, that's true. I think I'd sort of think about it and I would guide them with regards to a conversation around it being a journey and it's around doing life together. So it's kind of like you're just in this together. You're at work together a lot. You're doing life together. You, you know, you don't know everything about your brother or sister. I mean, it takes time for things to come through. Mm. Yeah. That feels more natural and it doesn't feel forced. Um, yeah. I love the concept of doing life together. I, I think that's really relevant. And I think if you can look at it at your team and, and how you interact with them like that, it becomes less around my role versus your role and more around who are we as people and that we're in, we're just on our own little journeys, but we're doing it side by side. Whatever's going on for you is going on for you and whatever's going on for me is going on for me and neither are um, more significant um, than it is. And I think allowing people to, to share their journey that is uniquely theirs and um, regardless of whether we've experienced the same thing in the past, that we can just allow them to have the space to be able to open up and talk about life and the journey Mm -hmm. that they're on. Really important for trust and vulnerability, would you agree? Yep. Yeah, I think also with that, um, what happens over time is that people will have a challenge somewhere along there. They'll have a success or they'll have a failure. When you're there for them for that and you manage that, really um, supportively with them, that tends to be that moment when they decide, that's okay, you've got my back here. You're not gonna throw me under the bus. I didn't think you would, but now I know that you won't. I actually feel a lot safer and that takes it, it, that takes it to along a bit further on the journey. You can't fabricate those challenges. They happen over time. I do try and, I'm a real builder of people, so I do try and build people to lead things. I don't have to lead everything. My team can lead stuff if they feel that they want to stretch there. I believe in building them to be the next leaders um, now, not waiting until they're in a role. So I let them have that space, and that space isn't always successful. As you describe in the book, they'll have challenges, and they'll meet roadblocks, and they'll get frustrated. and then bringing that back and working through it, we find a way. But it's with those experiences that builds that ability for them to share what you're asking. How do they share with you where they're at? Well, that helps a a lot. Um, How much of it is around being okay with the discomfort? Because often we talk about, you know, um, building relationships with our team as being, um, I don't know, maybe this is my perception, but being rosy and kind and caring. Whereas some conversations that I've built with my team in the past have been really heated and robust and we've walked away from the conversation feeling um, you know, heightened levels of emotion and then being able to come back from that and carry the conversation on with that softness and compassion and gentleness has actually been, been most effective as opposed to not having that robust, challenging conversation at the time. So... Keen to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, you can't shy away from that. They will happen. You have to call the line sometimes. Um, and there's sometimes there's no negotiation for some things. And you have to call that. And you have to sit with somebody else's response to that. Mm. So um, 
allow them to have the natural response that you would have if you're frustrated or upset about something. Allow that to take its time. I often give it a three-day rule. Ah, I like that. <laughs> Most things can solve themselves in three days mm. or it takes that time for someone to process what they've heard, what their view on it is, why that's different to what they expected because it's often a mismatch of expectations which is why that has flared up and where the true issue sits. And then revisiting, oh, it's not necessarily that I wait three days, but it often it, it, where that really sits for them will emerge more after that. Mm. So I don't, I, I don't try not to ride their journey with them, but just be beside them and watch the journey. Like the um, motivational interactions rolling with resistance, just watching that roll and being there when they need it. But you'll find it comes back and you can have that conversation and what was said in the heat of the moment isn't necessarily um, uh, reflective of them as a, you know, it's not something to hold as a forever thing for them. It was just a moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And not trying to get them through the moment in the moment, which I think some of us struggle with, is we don't want to leave a conversation in a negative state or a state that's quite serious or, you know, heightened in emotion where that's probably the best place to leave it yep. is to allow it just to stop and pause let's exit and come back when we need to and that when we do come back we're doing it in a timely manner it's not two months later mm. um, and that we don't expect that it will all of the meaning making will resolve itself after the conversation we need to come back and have another conversation Absolutely. about that yeah and just clarify any meanings that have been made that aren't actually true for for the two parties correct yeah. absolutely because yeah that's that's where it's at and yeah. if it's been particularly heated i'll ensure that i've sort of uh somehow put um some eap um type of process in, in there or suggested it because that can be another ear that that person might need to process where they're at and I might too like I might need to do that as well to go where am I with this why did that flare up and what did I pick up because this is really unusual for me to have someone flare up in a situation where I've, I've missed a mark I would normally have prepped someone or a whole team before dropping something that I thought was going to be that triggering yeah um i would have sounded it out with one person and got a response go oh okay i'll need to work more on my delivery for this i would have then tried it again if it was something really critical I'll, I'll actually have done a fair bit of prep work before i actually deliver that big message um so it's because i've had that happen i've had the heated moment and it doesn't feel great so mm. yeah I, I try to um do the work required in advance mm. yeah. yeah absolutely so tell me, when was the time where you felt most vulnerable in your career? Um, probably that starting the role at TAC. Yeah, but that was a knowledge gap. Mm. That was a knowledge gap. And we had young, a young family at the time, so I didn't have a lot of time outside of work to make things happen. And you couldn't do the longer hours that no. a lot of people do when they're starting roles? No. Okay. I had what to really what push hard yeah. there and I had to work so hard. And um, another time was when I was um, 
doing my MBA was very vulnerable time because I was really pushing hard. I was trying to get that really finished and at work was also really busy too. So I had lots going on at work and lots going on outside of work. And when I'm pushed in all directions, that, that's really tough for me. Um, How did you work through that? Because um, I think you probably speak for a lot of people who are pushed in a lot of directions and are taking a lot on. Um, I had to let go of stuff. So I guess one of the key things I had to let go of <laughs> was um, how clean the house was. <laughs> I too have let go of that. <laughs> that became something I couldn't, I, it really matters to me, but I had to let go of that being a, a priority for me. That was, and that, that's, that's still hard for me. <laughs> I, I have a hope that one day I will be able to get that back. It might be in retirement, uh, but yeah. <laughs> it's still not there for me, that one. Um, I had to manage my time really well and I had to learn lots of skills for managing that. That was where that came from. Um, another time I felt really vulnerable was when my husband was very ill with uh, cancer and he, he's well now, he's fine, but that year patch there was very, very difficult. Um, I needed to take time out to cope with that um, and to actually run the family and run him through all the things and support he needed. Um, I actually had to step out of the workplace for a few months to be able to do that. So I couldn't do both. I tried to be super mum, wife, but that wouldn't, that didn't work. I broke. Um, and so I, I called it and was able to stop work for a period of time, which was really, really important for me. Mm. And I think that built the trust for me in the organisation as well. Like I know that they've got my back, so I'm happy to put in the other way but it all works in the end but yeah that was really tough time and I did share that with my team that as I was trying to be a super mum I did share where I was at with my team but what I noticed with that and it's interesting this is different to when you're the leader as opposed to one of the team members was that I found that um, it was a burden for them to hold what I was going through as as well as what their world and life was was holding as well because it actually reminded them some people of experiences in their own life or family mm. um, and that was then coming to work was reminding them of that so it was actually although it was good to share I think it was hard on my team it was a really solid team but it was actually I noticed that ah I can see sometimes this I couldn't not share it it was just what it was but it can be a bit much or a bit of a, more of a heavy burden than you expect for a team and for people to hold who see you every day. Like if you tell a friend who you only see you once a week or whatever, that's they only see you then. But you see these guys five days a week. Mm. They're, they're seeing you, they're thinking about you and your circumstance and they care for you. I think that was hard for them as well to How have that. How did you deal with that? Um, well, I, I, when I recognised that I chose to be mindful about how much I did or didn't speak about it. So I didn't, unless people asked, was where I got to. So I had shared my situation, and then when people asked me how things were going on a one-on-one -on -one level, I would tell them a, a short version, and then if they asked more, I would give them a slightly more, like I would actually let them kind of dictate the amount of sharing by how much they were curious. Yeah. So a couple of people really wanted to know, and they're really interested and et cetera, and, I, and I, so I gave them more. But other people didn't ask and didn't really want to know. And it's not that they didn't care, it just was too heavy for them. And yeah. I said, I completely respected that. They had my back, but they just didn't want to know the details. Yeah. And I went, okay, that's fine. So I didn't do team 
announcements or team updates about it. I didn't talk about it in, in, in group settings, wherever I could possibly avoid it. So probably did come up occasionally, but was I always kept it light and short because I felt that that was the best I could do for the team. Because um, I didn't, I needed them to know, I needed them to support me, but I didn't, uh, I had also lots of supports outside of work as well. So they weren't, I didn't need to lean on them, mm. but I needed them to be aware that if I was having, uh, if I didn't get to something in time, or if I was having a hard day, that just to give me, cut me some slack. Yeah. Yeah. And that was nice. And they did. It was good. It's amazing to hear when you're going through something that's really personal and highly emotional and stressful that you still maintain this incredible awareness it's something that I've admired in you for the last couple of years um, that you just have this ability to read your people and read read the room how does someone learn that if they were (laughs) you know looking definitely something that I've been working on consciously over the last few years but how does how does someone build that you look for it. Um, you want it. You have to want it, I think. You have to want to know that person. You have to want to um, have success, a successful relationship with that person. That's um, a win-win for both you and them. Um, and in that willingness, you find the motivation to spend the time that it takes to get there. I think it's like... like I think when I did the marriage counselling before you get married, they said it, marriages last when both parties are willing to make it work. Okay, yeah, and once that willingness goes, actually, even if you're still compatible, the distance grows. It's like, yeah, okay. And I feel that that's similar when it comes to relationships at work. Where you're both willing, or if, if I show willingness to make this work, and it's, it's um, uh, what's the word where you give that person matches that, it works. So I feel that to get there, it's about knowing oh and also you've got to know that it's why so why be willing to do it so what's underneath it is because it gets results like even if you're a results person numbers and that's what matters most um task focused leader you will get more results if you do this trust me that's great for all our (laughs) task focused (laughs) listeners so it's it's the willingness to an authentic genuine willingness to know more about yep. people and be more aware. I yep. love that. That's it. There's not much more to it. And I think, well, from, from where I've come from, um, but I think those results that, I've, that we've got, so my results in my previous team, all really great. Results in this new team that I've had where I've been able to start afresh in the last two years I've had this new team. Our results in one of the scores were, well, for the whole division, we're 33% ahead. So um, at the end of last financial year, um, ahead of target which is huge really huge for what that target was and then now already by this time we're about 40 odd percent ahead of that same target now this is targets that people didn't even think we would get let alone smash um and so and and on the results through that like the numbers that i've collected for my team they're all stunning stunning results some need some work but they're all absolutely getting there and and it shows the bottom line shows the investment that you make actually the investment you make in the in people pays off dividends and results why else would you do it well i do it anyway but it, it actually well it's a business you're there to run the show you're there to actually make sure these results happen yeah if that's what you're there to do 
the, and your tools are your people, then you need to look after your tools. They deliver and they will deliver time and time again and they will stay sharp and they'll stay on target um, when they're looked after. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's when they're safe and that's where um, they can uh, lean on one another and lean on you and that they know that you're going to progress them as well, um, which I will and I do. Fabulous. I think that's really, um, really, really great to uh, hear your feedback on and uh, you know, for anyone who still thinks that there's people stuff and I'll put that in kind of talking marks is that it's not it's not just stuff there's there's a lot of data that comes from that uh, and also you can then do the journey together we're, we're doing life alongside each other I think that um, makes a work environment a place that you would want to come to yeah yeah, that's the point, that the people want to come to work. And the thing with my role and the role in a knowledge worker's life is that there's a lot of measures that don't actually measure that extra bit, mm -hmm. the effort and the time that goes into the clients, the actual portfolio work that they do. There's, I'm sure there's so many roles where a huge amount of their role is not measurable, yet if they didn't do it, the quality and the numbers would all fall down. But you can't measure whether they are or aren't adding that quality. Mm -hmm. um, that only comes when they're really engaged, when they want to be there and when they want to deliver. Mm -hmm. And if you, can, if you make it just about the numbers, that's what you, all you'll get. If you make it about numbers and people, you'll get numbers and you'll get that add-on quality that you that's exponential from the more you give the more even more that it comes back and the more that they give to each other as a team the even more that it um, creates whether greater than the sum of our parts when we work together as a uh, in synergy as a team it's it's, it's brilliant it's the and that's when I that's what I love best about coming to work is creating an environment where people can be their best and that has brought us full circle to where we came in the beginning of the conversation about teamwork and how important yeah. it is to play as a team. Um, and I love that concept. I'm going to um, finish up with um, one final question, which is uh, a little bit left of field. Um, and I like to play with metaphors a little bit. So I'd love to know if leadership was a show ride, what would it be? Yeah, uh, right. So, um, I was thinking a roller coaster because it really is, but that's a bit traditional. Um, there's ups and downs, obviously. But I was thinking more about it as the interview was going on because you asked it earlier. Um, it's a bit, I could almost see it's a bit more like the Ferris wheel as well, where at times you've got a big view of the whole thing. <laughs> You're up on the balcony, you can see what's going on. And you can actually, you know, see where the queues are and um, whether it's a good time to go and get popcorn or fairy floss right now. So you can tell that. But there's other times when you're right down the bottom and you can't see anything. <laughs> and you're just taking on a whole heap. <laughs> and that's when you need to decide whether to get off or not, yes. isn't it? <laughs> and then if you miss that chance. <laughs> so I probably would go... The Ferris wheel. I love that. That's so good. Um, Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to have a conversation with us about vulnerability and for being so vulnerable yourself. I think um, you know it takes a lot of courage. Uh, I think it's something that 
we need to uh, lean into if it's uncomfortable for us to start with. I think it gets a lot better um, as we do it more. Would you? Oh, yeah, it gets good. It's actually a really um, exciting role to have is a leadership role. It's never a dull day. Never a dull day. <laughs> uh, and that's why we do it, isn't it? Yep. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, if people want to connect with you, you are active on LinkedIn. So Robin Canning, uh, I'll share your LinkedIn link uh, in the comments. And please feel free to get in contact with either Robin or myself if you want to know more about leadership and uh, any of your own views and what does vulnerability look like to you uh, as a leader or an aspiring leader or just as a human in general love to hear your thoughts and comments so thanks again Robin pleasure enjoyed it thanks Shelley thanks so much for listening to this episode of the dynamic leader podcast I hope you found some value in it my biggest mantra in life is to pay it forward as a leader you have your own unique experience and this could make a huge difference to someone else. So I encourage you to tell your leadership story, your failures and your successes, along with what you've learned along the way. Let's make the leadership playground safe enough for leaders to fall and get back up again. By the way, if you have a leadership story that is worth telling, I'd love to hear from you and even have you on one of my podcasts. So drop me a note and let's have a conversation. Thanks so much for listening. 